Well, in the very short time that I have with you this morning, I've got the privilege and the honor of sharing with you a message that I hope is going to encourage you during this Easter weekend. And today's message, I've called it the relevance of resurrection. See, here at Thrive, we absolutely believe that Jesus Christ not only died on the cross for our sins, but he rose again from the grave as well. And, and see, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, JB, that's great, sounds great, but I've got a mortgage to pay. That sounds great, JB, but you know, I've got a marriage that's falling apart right now. That sounds great, JB, but there's this thing in my life right now that I'm trying to deal with that's taking more of my attention. That sounds great, JB, but I've got a health issue right now. That sounds great, JB, but there's an uncertainty in my life, and I'm kind of worried about that right now. What does the resurrection of Jesus Christ have anything to do with what I'm going through right now? What, what's its relevance to me? And see, today we're going to talk about that, because I'm going to tell you today, that perhaps the most important thing and the most helpful thing you can do in this season of your life right now is to focus on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would you read with me Luke chapter 24, verses 1 to 12? If you have your Bibles with you, you can open them up. If you don't, you can read it off the screen. Let's read God's word in a big, loud voice together this morning. Help me preach in this place this morning. What does it say? It says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed, like them to, not, seemed to them nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. You know, whenever I read a good book or whenever I watch a good movie, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, I can't help but identify with a character in that story. And in this story that we've just read, they've got several characters. You've got the female followers of Jesus who go to visit Jesus' tomb. You've got the angels who meet those female followers of Jesus at this tomb, which is now empty. And they're saying, hey, don't look for the living among the dead. Jesus is risen. You've got, you know, also these 11 remaining disciples of Jesus, the male disciples of Jesus. And they hear the news that Jesus is risen. And they're like, that doesn't make any sense to us at all. We don't believe it. That's nonsense to us. If you had to pick one character in this story that you could identify with most today, which one would it be? Do you identify with the women who went to visit the tomb, you're searching for Jesus today. You're curious about Jesus today. You're looking for Jesus today. Maybe like the women, you think of Jesus as this good, noble man who died this horrible death, and you're here to, to come to church to pay respects to him. Or maybe you're here and you identify more with the angels because you look like an angel, you know? Turn your give, give him a high five and say, you look like an angel. Or maybe you think you look like an angel, or maybe you look like a fallen angel. I'm not really sure, but the fact is this, is you come here, and you, you identify with the angels. Maybe you have good news to share with others and you're excited about that. Or maybe you identify with those 11 male disciples of Jesus. And when you hear this talk about Jesus rising from the dead, you think it's nonsense. You don't believe it. You know, if there's any character that I relate to the most in this story, do you know which one it would be? That character would be Peter. Peter, he's one of the 11 disciples of Jesus who hears these rumors that Jesus has risen from the grave. 
and he doesn't believe it. He thinks it's nonsense. And later on, though, Peter would decide to go check things out for himself, to see the evidence of Jesus' resurrection. And so he goes to the tomb that is now empty. He looks and he sees these strips of linen that Jesus had worn when he was put in this tomb. And now Jesus is not there. The strips of linen are lying there by themselves. And he's wondering to himself what had happened. I identify with that. That's because there was a time in my life when, when people would say stuff about Jesus and how he rose again from the grave. It seemed like nonsense to me. I didn't believe it. I had this tough time believing that someone could actually rise from the grave, let alone Jesus, the apparent son of God. And I had all these questions. I had, you know, questions like, you know, how do I know I can trust the Bible? How do I know that, you know, God really exists? You know, how do I know that when, you know, the Bible talks about Jesus rising in from the grave, that that's not just some hocus pocus, some legend that was developed centuries after the, that Jesus actually lived? How do I know that it wasn't some kind of hallucination? How do I know it wasn't some kind of hoax? How do I know that someone didn't just, you know, grab Jesus' dead body, throw it into the ocean and go, hey, Jesus is alive, he's risen. How do I know these things? And for me, it sounded like nonsense. But like Peter, during that time in my life, I decided to actually check out the evidence. I started to look at the different arguments and different evidence for and against the reliability of the Bible. Arguments for and against the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And to my surprise, in doing so, I discovered that actually there are excellent reasons to believe in the Bible. That there's excellent reasons to believe that the Bible is historically accurate. That there are excellent reasons to believe that you can trust what the Bible says. That there's excellent reasons to believe that Jesus did exist. In fact, he did exist. That he died on the cross and that he even rose again from the grave. Not just appearing to a few people, but appearing to over 500 people at different times and different places. Not just to people who believed in him and followed him, but to skeptics of his, critics of his. People who never believed in Jesus until the day they saw him face to face physically alive, not a ghost, not a vision, but physically alive, touching them and saying, man, now I believe. And see, in so doing, Jesus not only fulfilled all these Old Testament prophecies about who this Savior King called the Messiah would be and what he would do, but Jesus, in rising again, he also fulfilled his own promises. When he would say over and over again, I'm going to die on the cross, and then I'm going to rise, I'm gonna rise, to gra- rise to the, to, to, from the grave again. And see, that brings me today to the first reason why Jesus' resurrection is relevant for us. I'm going to talk about three today. We're going to focus a bit more on the first, and we're going to touch on the second and the third because they're important too. But why don't you write this first one down? Because Jesus Christ rose from the grave, it means you can trust what Jesus says. You see, once I was at the gym, and I was doing this back exercise. And it's my favorite exercise to do. I do this exercise more than, ever, more than any other exercise that I do. I remember I'm on this piece of equipment. I'm, I'm raising my back like so you know, up and down about 20 times each set. And all of a sudden, a trainer comes back up to me and goes, no, 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 you're doing it all wrong. He tells me to get off the machine and he, he starts doing it himself. And then another trainer comes up to me and goes, no, 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 that's wrong. Let me do it. And he starts to do it. And then a third trainer comes and says, no, no, you're both actually wrong. This is how you do it. And so there I am in the midst of three trainers going, what is the right way to do it? And I'm not really sure who to believe because these are these so-called experts in the area of fitness telling me that each other is wrong and telling me there's a right way to do it and the others are wrong. And I wasn't sure what to, what to believe. Have you ever felt that way about religions before? Have you ever felt that way about stuff about life after death and God and purpose of life, the meaning of life, where people all have these different takes and they're all telling them, t- telling each other, oh, you're right, you're wrong, and they, con- they contradict, they conflict with one another, and you're kind of like, who am I supposed to believe? You know, last Christmas, I went to watch a movie by myself in a theater, and uh, that's not an unusual thing for me. Uh, Pastor Charlene, my wife, my beautiful wife, and I, we've been married for 16 years now. 
Yeah, yeah, you can cheer for that. I'm cheering for that. And uh, yeah, we got married when we were 12 years old. That's how we do things at Thrive Church. No, I'm kidding. Uh, you know, we, we, we think we're about 28 years old, and so I say that. But the fact is this, is I learned very early on in our marriage that Charlene has a very special talent that very few people know about. Can I share it with you what's it today? Charlene has a very special talent, which is this, is whenever we're watching a movie, no matter how good the movie is, no matter how exciting the movie is, she will inevitably fall asleep. She will always fall asleep. And in fact, I'm here to tell you today that the greatest fact, the greatest miracle of all time is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A close number two for me is when Charlene can look at a movie and not fall asleep. And I've seen that, I've witnessed that miracle maybe three or four times in my life, but most of the time that miracle doesn't happen. And, and I can tell you that most of the time when I go to a movie theater, I'll go to watch by myself. We'll save the extra 15 bucks. Charlene's okay with that. I'm okay with that as well. And back in December, back in December of last year, I went to see a movie that almost everyone I knew had already seen. It's The Star, A Star is Born. And, you know, I went to this almost empty movie theater. There was one other person in the theater that I didn't know. It was kind of awkward, just the two of us there. And we're watching this movie. And those of you who've seen this movie, you know that this movie, A Star is Born, very, very famous movie, it's about a guy called Jackson Maine, who's played by Bradley Cooper. He's this famous country music star who's known all across America. And he befriends and ultimately falls in love with this struggling singer-songwriter called Allie, played by Lady Gaga. And there's a scene in the movie that really caught my attention. It's on the night when they first meet. Allie, played by Lady Gaga, she's changing in her dressing room while Jackson Maine, played by Bradley Cooper, is standing outside in this empty club when someone comes up to Jackson Maine with a guitar and says, Mr. Maine, could you please play us a song? And so he takes the song, he takes the guitar, he takes the mic on the stage, and he sings to just maybe a couple people in that empty bar. And he sings this song, and the lyrics of that song, a part of it goes like this. It goes, nobody knows what awaits for the dead. Oh, nobody knows what awaits for the dead. Some folks just believe in the things they've heard and the things they've read. Nobody knows what awaits for the dead. And you know, when, when I heard that song, you know, I couldn't help but think about a time in my life when that's how I felt, that no one really knows. And you know, what I started to do was I started to you know, study different religions and what they taught. And not only did I find that a lot of these you know, religions taught contradictory things and conflicting things, but I also found this is that whenever a person started a new religion, whether it was Muhammad who started Islam, or it's Siddhartha Gautama who started Buddhism, or we've got A.C. Swan who started the Hare Krishna movement, or we've got Joseph Smith who started Mormonism, that in every case, each of them would claim to be this expert on God, this expert on life, this expert on life after death, this expert on the purpose and the meaning of life. And then that person would die, and you never heard from them again. And you never really knew at the end of the day whether what they said was true or just their best guess or just theory. And see, there was one exception in all of my searching and studying, which is that there's a guy called Jesus Christ. And he made claims about life about God, about the meaning and purpose of life, about what life after death is all about. And then not only did he die, but to prove that you can trust what he says, Jesus rose again. And so with all due respect to all the other individuals in history who started religions in the past, if you're going to follow any one of those guys, can I suggest follow the one who's not dead anymore? You know, in the, in the words of that gym story about my back exercises, follow the one who can back it up, who can 
back up their claims and not just say a bunch of things, but prove that they know what they mean about life after death by actually showing us, by actually coming back to life. And so when I heard that song, nobody knows what awaits for the dead. Nobody knows what awaits for the dead. Nowadays, when I hear that song, I respond by adding a verse of my own. Do you know how it goes? It goes, Jesus knows what awaits for the dead. Jesus knows what awaits for the dead. Because he died and rose again, you can trust what Jesus says. Jesus, Jesus knows what awaits for the dead. Because Jesus rose again, you can trust what Jesus says. Turn neighbor and say, you can trust what Jesus says. You can trust what Jesus says. Now, what exactly did Jesus say? Well, let me show you one of his most famous statements, John 3.16. Could you read this with me in a big, loud voice? What does it say? It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Would you turn to everyone and say, God so loves you? God so loved the world, and that includes you. God so loves you. See, most people, whether they're religious or not, believe that if you want God's love, if you want God's favor, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to experience nirvana, if you want to be enlightened, that somehow you need to earn your way there. That it's about what you have to do to get to heaven. It's about what you have to do to get to God. And Jesus, not only is he unique in that he's the only one who claimed to be God and also rise again to prove it, Jesus also had a completely unique message. Instead of talking about all that you have to do to earn your way to God, Jesus says there's nothing you can do to earn your way to God. Because God is perfect, we will never be. And for as long as you think that you can somehow get to God on your own merit, you are only fooling yourself. Because the fact is, not a single one of us can ever meet all of God's requirements, no matter how much we try, no matter how good we think we are. All of us have sinned. And the Bible says that our sins separate us from God. You know, in the book of Romans, it talks about how the wages of our sin is death. In other words, the consequence of us turning our backs on God is that we can't have anything to do with him. Not now, not forever. What we deserve is to perish because of our sin. But because God loved you and me, because he didn't want to be apart from you and me, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. But before he did that, Jesus did what we could not do. He lived the perfect life that we could not live. He lived a life that met all of God's requirements, a life that only the son of God could live. And then he died the most horrific, excruciating death on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And to show that he wasn't just an ordinary man, but to show that he is who he is, he says he is, that he is the Son of God, that he has conquered death and sin, Jesus, he rose again. He backed it up. And so instead of putting your faith today in what you do to earn your way to God, Jesus says, put your faith in what I have done for you. It's not about what you do. It's what was already been done for you. You know, years ago, I was watching a movie by myself again uh, in a theater. Uh, this is years ago. And as the movie was going on, funny, I, all I could think of was I wish Char was here. I wish Char was here to watch this movie with me. It's a, I, I just thought she'd really like the movie, and I just thought it's not the same without her. And so after sitting in this movie theater by myself for two hours, about five minutes before the movie is done, I, I decide to do something kind of crazy. You know what I do? I run out of the theater. Five minutes before everything's about to wrap up and you're gonna, so this mystery's going to be solved, you know, the whole tension's going to be resolved, the, the, when, when you're going to kind of finally see the consummation of this whole story, five minutes before all that, I just walk out of the theater. And I was thinking to myself, I don't want to see the ending without Char. And uh, 
A week later, I took Shard to that movie. Thankfully, she didn't fall asleep. We saw the end to the, together, and to me, it was worth that sacrifice. And why do I mention that? It's because you might think that's a bit crazy. Some people think it's a bit romantic. But, the th- th- but that's nothing compared to God's love for you. See, more than anything, the desire of God's heart is that you would be with him in the end. And in fact, he would rather die than be without you. And that's exactly what he did. Is that when the only way for you to be with God in the end was for someone to die for your sins, instead of letting you be the one to die, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, made the sacrifice so that you could be with, with him in the end. To him, you are worth the sacrifice. And so if you've ever questioned your worth, if you've ever, ever wondered, do I matter at all? Do I matter to anyone? Can I tell you this? All you have to do is look at the cross. All you have to do is look at the cross because the cross is proof that you matter to someone. You matter to God. The cross is proof that you are not a mistake, that you are loved by God unconditionally. And maybe you're here today and you've been haunted by something you've done in the past and you felt like you can never forgive yourself, you feel like others can't forgive you, you carry this load of guilt and shame and insecurity and fear wherever you go, and secretly, it's just the secret struggle for you, and you secretly, when bad things happen to you, you kind of blame yourself, and you see it as deserved punishment for the stuff that you've done. I believe God wants you to know today is that though we've all made mistakes, you are not a mistake. You are loved by God. You matter to God. Other religions are going to tell you, pay for your mistake. That's the law of karma. What goes around comes around, so pay for it. Work harder. Try harder. Be better. Walk more old people across the street. Pray more. Do all these things so that maybe, just maybe, you can earn God's approval. But the fact is you can never earn God's approval, and the fact is you don't have to because Jesus has already paid for all of your mistakes on the cross. Come on, give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now. The hope of Easter and the hope of resurrection is that it's not about what you have to do to get to God. It's about what Jesus Christ has done to get to you. That's the first reason why the resurrection is relevant. Number two, because Jesus rose again, you have access to a peace that truly satisfies. You know, in Luke chapter 24, this passage we read at the very beginning, you see Jesus' female followers, they're going to visit Jesus' tomb, thinking that he's still in the tomb. And then when they get there, the, the stone is rolled away from the tomb. They see these angels there. And the angels say something to these women, which I want to focus on right now. They say, why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? In other words, they're talking about Jesus being the living one who's arisen. He's not dead anymore. Why do you look for the living among the dead? And you know, as I've been getting ready for this message, I've been focusing on that one phrase over and over again. It's God started getting me think that, you know, that was 2,000 years ago. And in 2019, are there ways that you and I today still look for the living among the dead? See, I think there's one way. We talked about it already. Sometimes we look for the meaning of life from people who are already dead and are not coming back. That's one way they will look for the living among the dead. And to that, we just say, you know, look to Jesus because he didn't just die. He is alive again. But there's a second way that we look for the living among the dead is that when we look for ultimate satisfaction from things that don't ultimately satisfy. Let me say that again. There's another way that we look for the living among the dead is when we look for ultimate satisfaction from things and from people who cannot ultimately satisfy us. You know, the song Shallow hints at that is that there's Bradley Cooper and uh, he goes, tell me something, girl. 
Are you happy in this modern world? Or do you need more? Is there something else you're searching for? And then Lady Gaga gets on the stage and she goes in her much lower voice, tell me something, boy. Aren't you tired trying to fill that void? Or do you need more? Ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore? See, what's this song talking about? See, this song is talking about this void in our heart and the search to fill it with something that truly satisfies. And that no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you look, it's tough to fill that void. And why is that? See, the Bible hasn't answered that question. It's because that void in your life is only one that God can fill. It's a God-sized hole. Ecclesiastes 3.11 puts it this way. Could you read it with me? What does it say? It says, he has planted eternity in the human heart. In other words, he's planted eternity in the human heart. In other words, in your heart, deep down in you, there is a God-sized hole. There is this longing for something that's going to satisfy that no temporary high can satisfy. That it can only be satisfied by something eternal. There's something like eternity in your heart. And could it be that the reason why you are so frustrated with life right now, could it be that the reason why you are so lost right now, could it be the reason why you are so hopeless about your future right now, could it be the reason why you're so depressed about your situation right now, is because you're trying to fill that God-sized void in your life with something that is far less than God. See, you think getting married is going to ultimately satisfy you. It will not. You think having more money is going to ultimately satisfy you. It will not. You think that having sex with that person that you still want to sleep with is going to make you satisfied and is going to ultimately bring you satisfaction? It will not. You think having a baby is going to be the answer to your search for satisfaction? It will not be. You, know, you think being famous is going to be the ultimate solution to your problem in the, this void? It will not be. You think climbing that corporate ladder and getting all the status is going to be the solution and you will find ultimate satisfaction that way? You will not. The fact is this, it's not because those things are bad. It's not that money is bad or sex is bad or marriage is bad or babies are bad, not at all. But the fact is this, they were never meant to take the place of God in your life. And you were made for more. And, and for as long as you keep settling for those other smaller things, it's like you're looking for the living among the dead. It's like you're living in the shallow. See, here's a question for today. Are you looking for the living among the dead? See, because Jesus rose again, you have access to a peace that truly satisfies. John chapter 14, verse 27, this is what Jesus says. He says, read it with me. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I want you to notice what Jesus says. What does he say? He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. You know, let me just tell you something about peace right now. This is what I find about peace. I find that the peace that the world offers us is like an escape that takes you away temporarily from your trouble. Is that you take that drug, or you watch that video, or you go on that vacation, and for a moment you feel better. For a moment you feel like you're being taken away from the trouble. But when the high fades, when the credits roll, when the vacation ends, you go back to the same problems that you faced and you don't think you're any better. And that's the peace that the world offers. It's just an escape that takes you away from your trouble for a moment. But the peace that Jesus gives doesn't just take you away from your trouble. The peace that Jesus gives takes you through your trouble. It's a peace that gives you a clear perspective on what you're going through. 
It's a peace that helps you make better decisions. It's a peace that gives you strength to face what you're facing right now. It's a peace that gives you wisdom to manage your relationships and the stuff you're going through in a healthier way. You know, I've got a really good friend. His name is Howard. And, you know, Howard could very well be the envy of many people if, uh, for, old, for people who know him because he's got, he's got a beautiful wife. You know, he's got amazing kids. He's got a great home. He's got a successful business. He's got good health. From the world's perspective, Howard would seem to have everything that the world says you need to be happy. But despite that, Howard would share with me how he would struggle with negativity. He would struggle with hopelessness about his life. His relationships were strained, certain ones of them, and there were people in his life that he had a tough time forgiving. And it was one of those things where despite having everything that you would think a man needs to be happy and satisfied, he just, there's something nagging him on the inside. One day he comes to church. He attends a service. And there at that service he hears about how Jesus Christ died on the cross for him, died for his sins, that God loves him unconditionally. He loves you unconditionally. And on that day he opened up his heart to Jesus, invited Jesus into his heart. And from that day forward, as he continued to focus on his relationship with Jesus, he found something changing on the inside of him. That somehow, despite having everything that the world says you need and not feeling satisfied, he discovered a peace that he never had before when he came to Jesus. He became less of a complainer, less negative, less, you know, hopeless about stuff. He became one of the most positive, he's one of the most positive guys I know now. His relationship with people got better. It's improved. He's got more wisdom dealing with different situations that he's dealing with. He could finally forgive some people in his life who had, you know, caused him some hurt in the past. And, you know, Howard, he's overseas right now. He couldn't be with us today, but I, I asked him if I could share a story. He's like, yeah, no problem. And, and you know, when, when Howard got baptized uh, recently, he, he shared this testimony with me. He said this. He said, he wrote this down, and he said it's okay for me to share it. He said, the biggest difference Jesus has made in my life is I've experienced a peace and a love that I thought I would never be able to experience. Jesus also heard my prayer, and he shows me that he is listening, and he's alive to help me. I'm forever grateful, and I believe in Jesus. Yeah, you know, this guy, he would call himself a Buddhist at certain points of his life. He didn't go to church. It just goes to show that it doesn't matter what your background is. God loves you. He loves you. And because Jesus rose again, you can have access to a peace that truly satisfies. What's going to satisfy you in 2019? What's going to give you a peace that's going to truly satisfy you is not the amount of money you make. It's not the amount of accomplishments you achieve. It's not the school you get into. It's not the job that you have. It's not the car that you drive. It's not getting married. It's not any of those things. It's a relationship with God because only that can fill the God-sized hole in your heart. Because Jesus rose again, praise God. Because you and I can have a peace that truly satisfies. Amen. Finally, finally, because Jesus rose again, you have access to a hope that never fails. You know, recently I was speaking with a friend of mine called Henry. And Henry was telling me about this time when he and his wife were expecting their first child. It was a very exciting time for them. Uh, at first things were going really, really well. But somehow in the middle of the pregnancy, about maybe four months in, one day the doctors called Henry into the hospital, and they said this to him. They sat him down and said, okay, we haven't told your wife this, but we've done a number of tests on this baby that's going to be born, and we think that you should know that the baby your wife is carrying is not growing, and we are very, very concerned. 
based on our past experience with cases like this, we think there's a strong chance that this baby will turn out to have some kind of disability, either mentally and or physically. And so we just want to let you know first so that you can be prepared. And if you want to talk with your wife first about it, you can talk with her first. And he's like, yeah, can I talk with her first? And so what happened was the doctor said, yeah, you talk to them first and then we'll talk to her after. And uh, the thing is, is Henry never told his wife. And the doctors never had a chance to speak with him. He was concerned that if he told his wife that she would worry even more. And so he kept the news to himself. And he didn't want to abort the baby, although that was an option. So instead, he just believed that somehow everything would be okay. Just somehow, somehow things are going to be okay. One day he walks into a very traditional church and he hears this very traditional song playing. And for some reason, the words gave him a lot of hope. The, the, the song goes like this. It says, God sent his son. They called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. And then the second verse touched him even more. It says, how sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater still the calm assurance this child can face uncertain days because he lives. And the chorus goes like this. It goes, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds a future and life is worth living just because he lives. And you know, this song gave Henry so much hope that because Jesus lives, everything's going to be okay. So he keeps on going. He still doesn't tell his wife. And a few months later, Henry's wife goes to the hospital, gives birth to this baby. And the doctors are shocked because this baby turns out to be completely fine and completely normal, and they couldn't understand it. And the reason I know this, and the reason why I get a bit emotional talking about it, is because Henry is my dad. And that baby is me. And... And, you know, I, I'm not sure where I would be today without the unfailing hope we have because Jesus rose again. That's the relevance of resurrection. See, you might be going through the biggest uncertainty of your life, but when you know that Jesus rose again, that he conquered the grave, you can believe that there's nothing that's too difficult for you. That's the relevance of resurrection. You could be going through the toughest situation right now, but you need to just remind yourself, if Jesus Christ conquered the two biggest problems we will ever face, which are sin and death, if he conquered life's two biggest problems, he is well able to help you through whatever it is that you're going through today. Jesus is greater than cancer. Jesus is greater than marriage problems. Jesus is greater than uncertainty about your future. Jesus is greater than financial crisis. Jesus is greater than all of your depression and all of your worry because it's Jesus who conquered the grave. Come on, give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now. Maybe you've been going through a really tough time these days. Maybe you've been hurt badly by someone who left you or hurt you in a way you never thought they would hurt you. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you have been so worried about something that is beyond your control. I'm here to remind you today, Jesus Christ is risen.
he lives. And because he lives, you can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because you know he holds the future. Life is worth the living just because Jesus lives. Amen. John 16, last verse for today, says it this way. Could you read it with me in a big, loud voice? It says, I have told you these things. You may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You know, you're going to find in life people will fail you or at least your expectations of them will fail sometimes. You'll find in life that circumstances will sometimes fail you, or at least the way you plan them to be will fail us sometimes. We fail all the time. I fail all the time. But because Jesus rose again, we have a hope that will not fail. We have a peace that truly satisfies. We have a person we can trust whose words you can count on. His name is Jesus. And the way that you access this hope that never fails, the way you access this peace that truly satisfies is through a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You know, other teachers, other religions will point to the way. They'll say, that's the way to go. That's how you get to God. Earn your way there. Work hard. Jesus says something totally different. He says, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And so here in this place, my question for you is this. Have you received this gift called a relationship with Jesus? See, receiving a gift like that is as simple as praying a prayer. You don't have to earn it. That's why it's called a gift. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray a prayer to receive this awesome gift. You don't have to come from a Christian background to receive this gift. You might be a Buddhist here. You might come from a Hindu background. You might come from a Taoist background. You might not come from any kind of religious background at all. That doesn't matter because God makes this gift available to every single person, regardless of what your family background or your background is. You might think, well, I won't be a good Buddhist if I pray this prayer. Know this, Jesus is not here to give you a new religion. Jesus is here to give you a relationship. And all you need to do is open up your heart to Jesus. We want to give you an opportunity to do that in just a moment. Right now, in the meantime, I'm going to ask the worship band to come up and lead us in a song. After that, I'm going to lead you in prayer. So can we all stand right now? Would you turn your neighbor on your right and your left? Give him a high five and say, because Jesus rose again, the best is yet to come.